Dear listeners, Sairam, welcome to Fleeting Moments, Lasting Memories, our series of conversations with former students of Bhagwan's educational institutions. And today we have the second and final part of the conversation with a member of the Radio Side team, Mrs. Karuna Sarupunchi. Frequent interviewer on Radio Sai, Mrs. Karuna Sarupunchi is here in the reversal of roles. This time around, she is answering questions instead of posing them. Interviewing her is a veteran journalist from Dubai and Radio Sai contributing editor, Mrs. Vasanthi Sundaram. Mrs. Karuna Munchi completed her bachelor's degree from Anantapur campus of the Sri Satya Sai Institute of Higher Learning in the year 1983, graduating on top of her class. She continued her master's degree in philosophy at the Anantapur campus, earning herself a gold medal. She taught at her alma mater for a year before venturing into journalism, augmenting her professional skills at the Film and TV Institute of India, Pune, and later at the University of Toronto. Mrs. Karuna Munchi is a media specialist with extensive work experience in India and Canada. For 20 years, she served the Sai movement in Canada in various capacities, including at the Sai School in Toronto. She comes from a family of long-standing Sai devotees from Srinagar, Kashmir. Currently, Mrs. Karuna Munchi serves at Radio Sai in Prashantinilayam in the area of content generation. This interview was recorded at the Prashanti Digital Studio in August 2012. Over now to the second and final part of the conversation with Mrs. Karuna Munchi. In conversation with her is Radio Sai's Dubai-based contributing editor, Mrs. Vasanthi Sundaram. Going back to your life in uh, Canada, Toronto, you were uh, associated with the Sai organization for about 20 years. That's right. You were also involved with the community outreach project, uh, Toronto Walk for Values. How was it born and how did your effort and your participation take it forward? Actually, my participation was very small. I was one of the many people who worked on the communication team and we tried to get it as much of exposure. The only power that made it succeed was God himself and that is Swami. And many of our listeners would have heard about the tremendous success of Swami's school in Toronto, which was... Uh, Uh, founded uh, in the year 2000 which was Swami's 75th birthday it was Swami's gift to the Canadians and that school from day 1 was so organic and so successful in transforming those little children and by extension their parents and their families that um, it became a rage the parents came back to us and said you know we want to give back to the school and this, there was no tuition fee nothing they felt so overwhelmed everybody tries to think these days the way the world is that if something is too good to be true there must be some hidden agenda and within a few months they realized there was nothing it was pure selfless altruistic love of bhagwan shri satyasai baba that was touching them and they wanted to do something back so they thought of many things and ultimately they said what we want to do is to tell more canadians how life gets enriched when we practice more truth more peace more more love right conduct and more non violence in our lives because the children were bringing this message home and the home environment was changing the siblings were changing the parents were bonding better so they said we want more canadians to realize this so we are going to hold a walkathon and typically in a walkathon you're raising asking people to pledge money for a noble cause he said in this walkathon we'll ask them to pledge a noble value a noble cause not no money involved we're going to raise the level of human consciousness 
So they decided that they wanted to hold the first ever walk for values in the history of humanity where people would walk and they would wear a big label stating the value of their choice that they were going to practice but it wasn't going to be simple everybody had to do a self audit and realize what was a area of personal weakness for example you know i'm a parent and patience is something i can use an elephant's patience to navigate through my roles at home and work and i'm sure you'll agree with me as a working mother if i chose to practice more patience in the coming year i'd have to wear a big listicky label on my sleeve oh it wasn't a holistic theme for that edition no, of the walk no everybody had each individual, individual. had a, okay. there was a holistic theme for example for i'm walking for me and my community but then everybody had to pick their own value of choice and then talk of wearing your heart on your sleeve you had to put that label on your sleeve and walk through the community and we had bands and we had songs and sai youth singing on top of big floats and children of the school singing and from day one it attracted the attention of policy makers and educators and politicians and business leaders and they said this is such a unique idea nobody has thought of a walkathon that has nothing to do with money and money pledges but it wants us to become better canadians better citizens better human beings without uh, fearing being judged judged yeah. at all mm. so it was open to everybody and no, the school did not even anticipate that thousands would turn up for the first one now this past may which is 2012 the 10th anniversary of the walk for values was celebrated and over the years the prime minister of canada the governor general of canada the ontario premier of the state of ontario the province of ontario the mayor of the city of toronto members of parliament member of the federal parliament members of the provincial parliament business leaders educators everybody wants to be associated and walk the police force loves us i'll give you an instance i think around the time when we were doing the second annual walk for values we always have to get these permits because some roads have to be closed for thousands of people to walk through and the floats to go So we worked with the uh, Ontario Provincial Police and the police came to us and said oh yes you must take Sai Baba's message of compassion and forgiveness to a particular they suggested a community we should walk through because they said that the community had a huge problem with drugs and a recent police crackdown ended up hauling a lot of youngsters from that community and taking them to jail so there's a lot of hurt and anger with the parents they don't see that their children deserve to be in jail even though they were peddling drugs and doing something which was illegal so he said they can all use the message of love and peace and they can use forgiveness and compassion can you please walk through this downtown area where there's lot of law and order problem with these positive messages from sai baba kind of a healing process very healing process and mm. we carry big banners and posters that have bhagwan's divine messages and the response from total strangers is just incredible people stop us and say this is so beautiful this is how the world should be where is sati sai baba getting this wisdom from who is he is he a great educator answer to everything is yes yes and yes because bhagwan is the greatest teacher supreme teacher to humanity and much more So my association with the Walk for Values has been a very humbling and beautiful experience. I have um, been involved with uh, taking the media part of it, uh, the communication, creating awareness about it. What started as a small um, token of appreciation from the parent council of the Satyasai School is now become an international phenomena. Twelve cities in uh, Canada observe or hold their local Walk for Values. Does it happen at the same time? Uh, actually because of the weather because for example city, city. city because some places are a little bit cooler than others okay. but within about 2 weeks span okay um so uh, late may to mid june all over canada 12 cities observe and in ottawa they end it at the steps of the canadian parliament where the parl actually a member of parliament um, 
she passed a motion in favor of the walk for values because she said it was being held in her riding and all canadians should practice more truth more peace more love more right conduct and non-violence it's been an enormous um um i would say as a, a tool to take bhagwan's message mainstream to canadians and now uh, about a dozen countries around the world are also holding their own walk for values mm. learning from the canadian experience amazing it is when i come back to puttaparthi here mm-hmm. i'm going to take you into the present now and ask you some questions that have been asked to me <laughs> i'm going to get answers from you if you had your way what mm-hmm. is the one thing you would change at puttaparthi at puttaparthi yes. by puttaparthi i'm assuming the town of puttaparthi yeah, yeah you could let 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 me take it from there well i would love uh, for the peace the pure and the clean environment of our ashram to extend beyond its walls into the streets of this town and i would love to experience the same honesty the same efficiency and the cleanliness that exists inside the ashram to prevail in the local businesses outside as well typically you know we attend these trance inducing uh, elevating programs in the cycle vanthal and after the aarti and the mahasamadhi darshan as we walk out through the gates ganesha gate we're hit like with the ton of bricks with the chaos the noise the commercialism that ha- happens right outside our gates i wish uh, that would become more sane streamlined and streamlined mm. and be more um, and would resonate swami's teachings better mm mm-hmm. And if I had my way, I would have the entire town designated as a World Spirit Heritage Site because of its spiritual significance, so that everything that happens in Puttaparthi is in sync with what happens inside the ashram. Because I find inside the ashram we have a haven, and uh, Swami has created this paradise for us. It's lush green. There is no pollution. Very little vehicular traffic. Everything is orderly, calm, and peaceful. I'd like that to extend beyond the walls. Mm. hopefully it will happen uh, more into the present karuna with baba's uh, physical departure from this world what is the resource that you most reached into in order to remain afloat it's funny it reminds me of a um, few lines from a poem poem by tagore from the gitanjali where it says that my rebellion strikes against thy love with all its might and still it cries cry remains i love thee and only thee because after the mahasamadhi for about the first 10 12 months i had these 2000 gallons of tears and pain locked in my heart and i was so upset with swami for leaving us when he did and i was as fragile emotionally as millions of his devotees around the world now my defense mechanism since my childhood is to have constant conversations with swami in my heart and uh, these often turn into heated arguments and fights because he is my only confidant and he is my only best buddy in the whole wide world so when i had to complain uh, about anything in the world i would turn to swami and when i had to complain about swami i again turned to him so through these arguments i just poured my pain at his lotus feet and i told him how upset i was with him and i found the process was very therapeutic and it healed me because i felt swami was really listening to me and he helped me tremendously and i'll um, share just a small experience with the listeners um, sometime after uh, swami's mahasamadhi on a very hot day in uh, maybe june i was at home in the afternoon working on a file on my computer and i had to come back to office at about 3 so uh i went to wash my face it was very hot but i chose i not to wipe it because i wanted a wet face under the blast of the air conditioning vent and the fan whirring over my head so that it would dry and feel cool and sweat free for a few minutes because i feel very hot you know coming as i am from very close to the north pole i find parthi very hot at times 
but when I came out of the bathroom, I said, okay, before I leave for work, let me just lie down for a few minutes. I've been working nonstop in front of my computer all day. And I lay down with no intention to sleep, just to stretch my back. But I didn't realize I instantly dozed off. And all of a sudden, I woke up maybe a few minutes later, just maybe seven to 10 minutes later. I said, oh, I didn't realize I fell asleep. And I stood and I just caught my reflection in the mirror. And I found I had this big Vibhuti Tilakam on my forehead. And I know I went to, I, I, I fell asleep with a wet face, un, with a washed face, not wiped. And there was this big Vibhuti Tilakam and I knew that um, Swami had come through for me because I was really hurting and I was aching and I was so upset and I couldn't make sense of all my decisions that I had made with regards to Swami and relocation to Puttaparthi and with Swami's departure. Where did I stand in the scheme of things? What was he thinking? You know, was he even thinking? I was thinking along those lines. And just that one token of uh, his presence and his love, it just pacified me in an instant. I knew there was a method to the madness. Yes. And he had his own plans. Mm. And you, you people always, I mean, like I know, at least I'm one of them, who look up to you for gaining inspiration to stay on the path, given the devotion that you exemplify. Did you feel your courage deserting at this time? Was it an enormous strain to put up a brave face in front of those people who were looking for your hand to hold on to? Um, when Swami was hospitalized, we were all equally concerned and worried. And uh, it coincided with the plans, my family's plans to visit US and Canada that summer. So we didn't know whether we should leave or cancel our program and as we sought answers we were clearly guided to go to Canada and US so somehow we rationalized and thought you know Swami is getting better sometimes we used to get a little bit of news from the hospital oh today Swami responded to this or that in the initial stages of his hospitalization so we became hopeful and it was wishful thinking on be part of millions of Swami's devotees we said maybe the recovery period will be long but Swami will be fine so we proceeded to Toronto as soon as we reached um the news started to turn a little dismal, but all the centers wanted me to come and speak to them. And, you know, uh, Toronto has a sizable Sai population. So I found myself speaking in the morning, afternoon, every weekend, every Thursday evening at different centers. And as per my own understanding and thinking, I told everybody that, you know, this is a time for all of us to unite and pray and Swami will respond to our prayers and he will be okay. So I was trying to infuse courage and faith and hope in everybody's hearts. And very shortly after that, the Mahasamadhi happened and it was such a blow at all levels for everybody, including myself. And in, a, in an instance, we felt our world was just crumpling down and it was like somebody had pulled the rug from under our feet and ripped off the background against which we had lived all our lives, all our dreams, all our fantasies. Just didn't know what to say to at that time. I felt this huge surge of responsibility from within me and I felt I'm Swami's daughter and I have to lend a hand to those. I knew how shock, shell-shocked the devotees were but I felt I had a responsibility as Swami's daughter and his student and I found myself having to speak at more centers, at more meetings constantly. The very moment the news came, it was nightfall and we immediately rushed to the Toronto York Center and for next three days, the centers were open 24-7. People were walking in, wailing, crying, collapsing in the lobby. And I found that in person, I was so devastated. I was a basket case. But every time I stood at the podium in front of the microphone, someone else spoke through me. I never knew what I was going to say. Swami was doing all the talking. I never knew what sentence or would 
emerge from my mouth next or how this thought process would unfold how would i take this talk to its logical conclusion i found i was in a state of chauffeur driven consciousness somebody else was operating from within me so one part of me was devastated in private but the public part of me was so courageous and so calm and relatively so much more composed that you know just being there for people holding their hand taking them inside just patting their backs giving them tissues take walking them talking to them consoling them that yes all of a sudden everything has changed in our life in an instant because if we truly believe who swami is then nothing has changed everything is just the same would you say that uh Swami had planned this duty for you taking you away to Toronto that's what a lot of people felt and just to me. have this cathartic experience you know to let it all out and to you know Perhaps. in sharing with others you cured yourself in a way oh yes always you know when you share your love with others mm. you always heal yourself and mm. i also found that when i spoke at these many centers in the us and in canada stuff that i had not prepared and i didn't know whatever i was ever going to get up and speak and everybody is looking at you with hope <laughs> hope yes <laughs> and you know they were looking for some kind of a reassurance a con- consolation it's very hard to make sense and be rational and calm and composed when you're hurting and so sad yourself so it was swami who did it all and people would come up to me and say you know when you spoke I, we felt swami was speaking to us and i said so did i because i wasn't speaking it was swami speaking truly and uh, i thought that uh, just being blank in the mind, and being in a state of utter surrender is all i did the rest swami did so i was just an instrument and it was such an honor that swami chose me for it hmm. uh, this is a thought that has ha- uh, I, i mean i live in dubai and i i'm long distance i'm not uh, fortunate like you to be in the physical realm the thought that has often occurred to me is after the mahasamadhi has there something altered within puttaparthi itself is there a dip in energy you know when i returned to puttaparthi within weeks of the mahasamadhi every time i entered the ganesha gate i felt this sad energy hit me and all i wanted to do was cry forever but with each passing day and I actually found it very hard to go into the saikulvant hall i was very happy coming to work but going to the kulvant hall was a very difficult and painful experience and shortly after that they boarded up the area where the mahasamadhis because the mahasamadhi work was being done but with each passing day the love with which the students sang the vedam and the bhajan it just cleared the air it's my uh, theory that you know the sadness of the lakhs of devotees who had come for the mahasamadhi it was still lingering here but with the vedam chanting and the bhajan singing swami just lifted the sadness away and by the time of the guru purnima when the mahasamadhi was unveiled there was this enormous resurgence of energy positive energy and happiness and much as we thought we would be devastated to see the mahasamadhi we felt uplifted when we when the curtains parted and the aarti was offered to the divine mahasamadhi and today this mahasamadhi is a living breathing vibrating responding shrine when we inch towards it as you did this morning vasanthi yes. and i don't know if you share my perspective i do you feel you're having a personal audience with bhagwan himself absolutely it's a one to one conversation it is completely. so this is a swami is there and mm. the mahasamadhi is the holiest of shrines in on the face of earth as far as i'm concerned and uh, i can share that yesterday for instance i was feeling very overwhelmed about uh, a few things in my life so i quickly came to office and wrote a letter to bhagwan and i ran for bhajan and after aarti as i was inching to the mahasamadhi i said swami have you read my letter usually as i write stuff i hand it all over to him in my heart it's all his now my worries are his 
just then a butterfly flew in from the mahasamadhi towards me and i said swami if that's you please come and settle on me and it did and it sat there and i closed my eyes and i kept reading the contents of my letter all the five six issues i had written out to swami and the butterfly stayed on me and after that once i had placed my forehead on the cool marble slab there my worries were gone i was walking on air i dropped my letter in the basket there for letters to bhagwan and from that moment onwards i knew swami had taken over hmm. you asked me if i felt like that this morning in fact this is my first visit after the mahasamadhi and uh, i was quite nervous at uh, having to confront uh, a place without the physical form and uh, my heart was actually beating very fast when i entered the kulvant hall i mean i felt like you said a surge of joy i mean he is not there but there is something else he, he is, is there in a cosmic form in the cosmic form and you feel that you feel that presence totally um karuna you're a prolific writer you have been a proficient journalist as a person associated with the media what do you think should be done to spread the sai message without riding on the propaganda tool Mm, very good question. I'd love to quote um, a well-known Canadian communications specialist. His name is Marshall McLuhan. And he said, he coined this phrase, the medium is the message. It's open to many interpretations. And I understand Marshall's um, little quote that the medium is the message to mean that each of us is a medium of Swami's message if we live it. So the best way to spread Swami's message is to live it. so that we can influence the immediate circle of our within our families workplaces and communities having said that creating positive awareness about swami's message and his impact is the duty of each and every devotee of swami now at radio sai as you have noticed you may have noticed we take this duty very seriously and we also have to walk a very fine line because bhagwan is totally opposed to any kind of propaganda or publicity For 60 odd years Swami's mission went on helping and serving humanity without a murmur without a news headline because Radio Sai did not exist till then By the time Radio Sai came into existence one thing that Professor uh, Venkatraman who is the head of Radio Sai had clarified with Bhagwan was that Bhagwan we we totally respect what you tell us about not looking for cheap publicity newspaper headlines but we would like to create positive awareness about the facts and swami was okay with creating positive awareness in a suitable environment so i'm very happy to inform you that everything we do here at radio sai to create this awareness is based on objective reporting statistical evidence and in-depth research as opposed to any attempt to push an ideology or sensationalism or any kind of agenda so we are very responsible we practice responsible journalism and we have the medium has to become a message so radio sai we conduct ourselves in a manner that reflects his message or we strive to do so and uh, we realize that we have to be very careful when it comes to accountability authenticity honesty because 5 years from now 50 years from now or 500 years from now or 5000 years from now these stories have to stand the test of time so we are never hungry to grab newspaper headlines or seek publicity and you know the sai culture is always called for a restrain and we have to honor that and respect and work within those parameters so i'm all for creating positive awareness i'm all for creating that awareness most potently through personal example role modeling but i'm against any kind of propaganda mm. the sai movement itself what is the new uh, reality after the mahasamadhi i can only speak from my point of view 
which according to me is that those who were able to connect with Swami as the omnipresent, omnipotent and omniscient Lord from within, their connection has only strengthened after the Mahasamadhi. Those who were truly devoted to Him and related to Him as the God, the divine being that He was, their devotion has only grown manifold. I notice a burning passion today amongst His devotees, especially so in the students, to stand up tall for Swami and do what it takes to bring glory to the divine name, to act and to think and to speak in a manner that befits our divine Lord. I wish we were where we are today, 30 years ago as a movement. We would have just taken over the world <laughs> because I feel the drive and the passion and the devotion to Swami now is stronger. And this Mahasamadhi has really separated the shaft from the grain. Those who are for Swami are there for Swami with not part-time, not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. So it's been in that sense, I am, it's been amazing. I really can't comment on those who uh, connected with Swami only at a physical level because those who have internalized for them, this is our die or do moment. And it's now or never. And that's why you can see the movement is surging forward. It's growing leaps and bounds. In the short time after the Mahasamadhi, so much has happened. So many good and positive things have happened. That's because people are realizing that, that responsibility, that sense of um, urgency. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I know that Swami's cosmic form has to touch every life form on the planet. And for nearly 45 years, Swami and I bonded as best of buddies. So now it's really my turn to wake up and realize that love is a two-way street. It's reciprocal. And I need to do what it takes to share and circulate the abundance that He has blessed me with in my life. Uh, I just have about two more questions. We are drawing to the end of the conversation. And I'm uh, feeling a little relieved and to I'm, know that. No, I'm, draw I'm doing this two questions because we're running short of time. Okay. <laughs> we have lots more to ask, but again, we'll have to keep that for a later time. For now, I have this question that you have been serving the Sai mission very actively for the past 20 years. And for the best working years of your life, you worked full-time for the Sai mission first at the Satya Sai School of Canada in Toronto and uh, now for Radio Sai. What triggered such a commitment that you gave up all your professional ambition to serve the Sai mission with such zeal? You even relocated to Parthi from your well-established life of 20 long years in Canada. What, what was the driving? I mean, like, of course, Swami is the driving factor. But to give it all up and to just move back to Parthi? Enormous uh, willpower, enormous decision-making it had really very little to do with me. As I told you, every time I deviate from the path of the five human values, I get a knock on my head and sometimes I get a huge bang. And this began uh, when I got this enormous bang on my head uh, because I had a very uh, deeply personal and moving experience. In some time, I think it was in the year 2003, I used to live in Toronto and my sister-in-law was migrating from India to the US uh, in the Boston area. So uh, we decided, my husband and I and our son, who was I think two years old at that time, so it might have been 2002, uh, on a very cold, wintry, snowstormy day, we had to drive in a large van from Toronto to Boston. Uh, a day prior to my sister-in-law's arrival and we were planning to set up uh, a stay with our sister from the Anandpur College, uh, an ex-student named Mrs. Malika Deshu. We were staying in her house at Amherst, Massachusetts uh, for the night and next day my sister-in-law would arrive. And we 
set off on our journey uh, under very cloudy dismal skies but as we hit the highway we realized that um, this uh, was going to be very difficult because uh, the northeastern part of us had had an enormous snowstorm and along this journey uh, in the first 6 7 hours we found about 40 cars belly up abandoned along the side of the road on which you could not see the surface of the road only a few places you could see the tire marks so we were driving extremely slowly because the road was very uneven with so much of snow on it and we were just trying to make sure we drove over the previous tire marks so we wouldn't fall into a ditch and it was very very uh, stressful and i remember constantly chanting the gayatri mantra and my husband was driving and i kept hoping that the baby would keep sleeping in the car seat so that you know i just kept putting his bottle in his mouth and uh, it was uh, a miserable day we were very nervous i was drinking antacid throughout because of the heartburn from the stress of driving through that storm and about 6 uh, 7 hours later than we were expected we managed to reach the house of our hosts late at night and uh, they were very relieved and we lost our cell phone network in the storm so we couldn't contact anybody so you know we were almost missing the next morning um, my husband decided he would go to the boston airport uh, to pick my, uh, early because he wanted to give himself enough time to drive and he'd be there by the time my sister-in-law would arrive in the uh, afternoon or so so i was with the baby and just sort of recovering from the previous day's stress and um, getting ready to receive our sister-in-law and uh, a f- about a couple of hours uh, after uh, my husband left or maybe a bit longer my sister-in-law called from the airport she said well how come you guys didn't come to pick me up i said what are you talking about so, uh, my husband had left w- many hours earlier and he actually decided to leave a few hours extra early so that he could you know just uh, explore the area around boston airport and everyone said there was a lot of construction on the highway so you have to take a lot of detours so he gave himself plenty of time to get there in time so long story short uh, she uh, was stranded on that airport first time out of india second time in her life on a flight she landed at the boston airport without anyone to receive because uh, we could not trace my husband and um, i tried calling him on his cell phone and 2 3 4 5 6 hours went by and by now my panic bells were going and i was calling uh, everywhere to see uh, if i could trace him i even called home in toronto because his car had an ontario license plate and i thought if he was in an accident then perhaps they would have informed the home address so when i called home where my 10 year old little daughter was with my sister and my mother in law they were all panic stricken they said no we haven't heard from him and it was a very awkward situation i was staying with a friend there was 20 feet of with the child 2 year old child there was 20 feet of snow outside and i had a missing husband and i had a helpless sister in law waiting at an airport and it was getting dark he had left in the morning at 10 so i was so panic stricken we tried to see if the control room had any news the police control room he was untraceable at that time i went into the basement of my friend's house uh, where there was an altar and i sat there and i prayed to swami and i suddenly started to realize what was happening to my life and uh, in a country where you can even find a missing vehicle with the gps chip in it a grown up adult with a wallet full of credit cards and id cards and a big huge seven seater van had gone missing this was something was missing wrong with the situation and i started it, the truth started to dawn on me and i was petrified and uh, i felt a fear i had never ever experienced in my life before it was right there in my tummy in my gut and uh, 
I sat there and I said to Swami, Swami, I'm not ready for this. I'm not strong enough and I cannot handle the eventuality that is facing me right now. And I know you can do anything. This is what I want you to do, Swami. I want you to take time back. You are the master of time. Reverse the time and restore normalcy in my life now. And I want it now. You know, talk of being patient with God. So when I said that to Swami, I said, Swami, do it now. Just somehow make it 10 o'clock when everything was normal in my life. She was still in the air. He was still driving at home. Everything was okay. And at that time, in that moment of fear, I experienced incredible clarity. It was like my entire life was playing out before me. I saw it scene by scene and I saw all the errors I had made in my life, including the one of constantly asking Swami to keep me in a state of bliss. I always asked Swami for bliss. And every time Swami gave me an opportunity to serve Him, I would do it. But like on the fringe, on the periphery, it's like, you know, standing on the side of a pool and you dip your feet to experience how the water is, as opposed to just diving, plunging into the pool and having a nice swim. So I was that person on the periphery and I had had many opportunities to dive in, but I had resisted. And I realized here I was making such a huge demand on God. Take time back. Restore normalcy in my life. Make it all okay. I am not ready for this. I, I can't handle this eventuality. And I had done nothing to listen to what he wanted me to do. So I had to make a pact with Swami at that moment. I said, Swami, I know I have missed my bus many times. So at this moment, if you can just rescue me out of this horrible situation that I am in, I promise you that whatever you have taught me, if you taught me to dot an I and cross a T, if you taught me to speak, breathe, swim, walk, talk, drive, I will use every talent or every skill you gave me only to serve you and to glorify you and nothing else. The moment I laid this prayer at the altar, the Amrit emerged from Swami's picture and the phone rang and we found my husband. He was fine. He was all good. He had just forgotten his phone in the uh, car and there was like a huge comedy of errors that had resulted in this horrible uh, situation that had almost killed me out of fear. So I knew Swami had responded and lo and behold, two hours later, uh, my sister-in-law and my husband were home safe and then all remained to be done was to go back to Toronto and do what I had promised Swami. So the first thing, the first order of business, I made a phone call to the Satisai school because the school was already in operating and I was one of the volunteers in one of the committees. And throughout the existence of the school, I heard Swami's voice loud and clear, like a bell telling me to get involved and do more. But I continued to stay a volunteer in the Spiritual Awareness Committee and not do more. So I made a call to the then principal. I told him the facts as they were and okay. I joined in. And then coming to Parthi? It was an inner calling and uh, it was entirely Swami's doing. And a lot of people have asked me, how could you make such a big move? Even I don't know. And if I try to rationalize, it makes no sense. But I think when you're driven by a higher power and you're guided from within, things just fall into place. And it was a decision, very surprisingly, very few people believe I did not make. It was my husband who was visiting here actually from Dubai on a holiday. And he just decided that he felt very happy being in Parthi and this is where he wanted to be. So he bought a home for us. And after that, we moved. And so when we had to wind up uh, 20 years worth of life uh, in uh, Toronto, the first uh, order of business was to sell a huge house. And uh, the recession had just set in. The global economic meltdown had happened a few months prior. 
so it was very hard to sell big homes and uh, i didn't want to go i was so busy winding up my work at the school i didn't want to have to you know set up the home and uh, keep it ready for viewing or seeing by the real real estate agent and potential buyers so i put in a prayer at swami's lotus feet and i read the satcharita and i said can you help me with this swami and one day before the house would be listed it was sold privately through to a friend and there was no uh, hitch whatsoever the only part we did my husband and i was to practice sealing on desires and list it at a relatively reasonable and low price we were not getting greedy with it because we were not looking for multiple offers we just wanted to close the deal and it happened in no time everything fell into place we saw swami's hand in all that we did hmm. okay thanks so much and one last question which has nothing to do with uh, your stay here or with uh, the the experience that you bring with you here You are a very self-aware woman, well-educated, devoted to Sai values. What are your thoughts on feminism, and what do you make of the women's liberation movement? <laughs> you said it had nothing to do with the, uh, anything I do here. I think it has everything to do with what I do here. Okay. I um, work uh, in a, a totally uh, male-driven workplace, male-populated workplace. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot to do with my sense of being, and uh, um, my I draw my uh, definition of feminism from what Bhagwan says. I do not subscribe to the view, which I find very amusing, that a woman needs a man as much as a fish needs a bicycle that's not my view of feminism at all i understand that what sami says that in the enti- entire creation humanity is the crown of creation and in ma- human kind it's the woman who's the crest jewel of god's creation because women alone have those divine qualities that reflect swami's divine nature sacrifice compassion love unconditional love forgiveness acceptance only a mother only a woman and every woman is a mother whether she is biological or not is not is not of consequence that nurturing nature is natural to us so i believe um, when i understand uh, women's uh, liberation movement i don't uh, judge it from the point of view of financial liberation monetary liberation professional liberation i vote for atmic liberation because if you believe who you truly are you are a spark of divinity and if you believe that the nature of divine is such that fire cannot burn it water cannot wet it wind cannot blow it death cannot annihilate it then what is it that can hold you back what is it that you are afraid of who is it that you are not so if you actually subscribe to that view then you truly are god and that is the view of feminism because i so as sami said women have such qualities of patience and forbearance and sacrifice and i think those are not our weaknesses as sometimes the western uh, feminist movement might suggest i think those are our strengths and once we believe in our true reality we truly are feminists and i think that's what helps me to survive in a place where i'm the only woman working with a bunch of very very considerate and sensitive uh, male colleagues uh, who are very very nice to work with uh, very committed to swami and uh, same mindset but it It's become easy being who I am and thinking along these lines to work just about anywhere. So shall I say, let our tribe increase? <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Karuna, for that very engrossing conversation. I mean, so much so that I think I got lost in it to a large extent, and I'm sure um, all our listeners would have gained as much value as I did. Thank you very much for this very very informative. 
talk and i like to thank you and bhagwan for the opportunity as always uh, i rely entirely on him for my strength and uh, offer this talk also at his lotus feet sairam you just heard the second part of the conversation with a member of the radio side team mrs karuna sarup munchi an alumna of Anantapur campus of Bhagwan's University. Interviewing her was a veteran journalist from Dubai and Radio Sai contributing editor Mrs. Vasanthi Sundaram. This interview was recorded at the Prashanti Digital Studio in August 2012. Thank you very much dear listeners for tuning in and please do share your feedback on this program. As always, you can reach us by writing to listener at radiosai.org. Thank you and Sai Ram.